Last week was a pleasure to get to hear from Pastor Austin as he talked to us about Martha's journey, right? Where she started out being too busy for God and ended up connected with Jesus. Great sermon from a great pastor. And we, we did that because we're in this series called Journey, where we're looking at different starting points that lead to connection with God, different journeys. And this week's journey is going to be about being angry at God. Now, it's not just like normal common anger, right? Like my wife has, right? So, <laughs> what? The woman's angry all the time. A lot of guys are like, oh, dude, I totally get it. All the women are like, I get it. I'm adding Shannon to my prayer list right now, right? Like, I understand. <laughs> you probably should. Anyway, it's not that kind of anger. It's specifically being angry at God. Now, when we talk about being angry at God, we're, we're in church, right? Like, so how dare you? You can't be angry at God. Listen, when you look in the Bible, there are lots of examples of people who are angry at God. There's Abraham and Moses and Naomi and David and Job and Jeremiah. There's even Martha who we looked at last week. There was a period when she was mad at Jesus for showing up late. That happened. So what if that's your journey? That you're angry at God? Can it lead to connection with God? And the answer is absolutely yes. So what we're going to look at today is the story of Jonah. Now, Jonah is a book in the Old Testament. We're actually going to cover an entire book of the Bible today, right? All four chapters of Jonah. It's a short book, and we're not going to read every verse, but that's what we're going to be looking at. Start out in chapter 1, verse 1, and here's how it begins. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah is one of God's prophets, and he is tasked by God to go prophesy in this city called Nineveh. Now let me tell you a little bit about Nineveh. Nineveh was one of the major cities in the Assyrian Empire. Okay, so it's a big deal city. So you know like when cities would grow back in the day, sometimes it became so big, then they'd put walls around it to protect it. Then it would keep growing so big, they'd put an outer wall. So this is a city not only with an outer wall, but an inner wall because it grew so big. It was a big city. It would take three days to walk around Nineveh. It would take a day to walk from the outskirts to the center of that city. God said it is a great city, but it's also very wicked. God said their evil has come up before me. Nineveh was known for its rampant immorality. It was known for its idolatry and then also for its violence. The Ninevites were particularly known for their violence to captives in war. This would feel very personal to Jonah. Jonah is from Israel. The Assyrian Empire had regularly pillaged and conquered Israel. 
And the Ninevites are known for their brutality to captives of war. So there's no love in Jonah's heart for the Ninevites. And God's asking him to go minister there. This is like God saying, Rick, I want you to go pastor in Ann Arbor. (laughs) Hard pass. Hard pass, right? So that's what's going on here, right? Now, there's another issue that Jonah's going to have here. This would interrupt his plans for his own career as a prophet. If you look in 2 Kings, already Jonah has been a prophet for a while. And God's used him twice already to institute reforms for Israel. So he's got kind of a a good career path going as a prophet to the Jews, because that's what prophets always do. Jewish prophets prophesy to Jews. They always have, they always should. Now God is asking Jonah to go outside Israel to prophesy to Gentiles, to non-Jews. No, 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 no. This will not get his name in the hall of fame of prophets. Like that's not what he wants in this case, right? So this is not Jonah's plan for Jonah's own life. This will hurt his career. And not only that, it's for people he doesn't even like. No bueno. So he says hard pass. And what he does is he goes on this journey right here. So Joppa, you see in the lower right there, Joppa is in Israel. It's on the shore in Israel. So he goes down to to Joppa. Now he's supposed to go 700 miles northeast to Nineveh. That's modern day Iraq. Instead, he catches a boat to Tarshish, which is 2,200 miles due west. This is not Jonah saying no. This is Jonah saying hex no. No. No way ain't happening, right? And in fact, they are so far apart. You notice, I couldn't even find an ancient map that had both Tarshish and Nineveh on it. I I had to jury rig it, put it out on the margin there, right? It just didn't exist. So this is him trying to flee from the calling. But notice, not only from the calling that God put on his life, but also it said in the passage, from the presence of the Lord, which is ridiculous. Because God's everywhere. How can you run? But symbolically, he's angry at God, doesn't like it. So he's trying to get away from God himself. And then what happens? So as you roll into verses 4 through 8, what happens is God stirs up a storm around this ship as it goes out to sea. Now, the sailors were not Israelites, but they're not idiots. And they could tell that this was not just a physical storm. This is a spiritual storm. It's not just natural, but somebody on the ship, ship must have, uh, have ticked off what they would say is one of the gods. Who was it? And so they cast lots. It's kind of like rolling dice. And, and the lot falls to Jonah. Oh, Jonah, what would you do, man? Now, Jonah had already told him before they left the shore in Joppa, Jonah told him that he was fleeing from the God of Israel. And they were fine from, with that. And the reason why is their view of gods was regional deities. So the God of Israel was the God only in Israel. He had these short little T-Rex arms, right? And so like when you got outside of Israel, like he can't reach you. And they went out to sea so they'd be fine, right? And now all of a sudden there's this storm surrounding that ship. And so in verses 9 and 10, here's what Jonah adds into the mix. 
He says, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Lord's in all caps, that's Yahweh, the proper name of God. I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. That's no little short T-Rex arms, right? Like that's, that's the one true God everywhere, right? And, and then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is it that you have done? Dude, are you kidding me? Like, like basically, this is the one true all-powerful God. And so they're like, we're screwed. What'd you do, man? And so then in verses 11 to 16 of chapter 1, the sailors ask Jonah, they say, what should we do to you that the sea may be quiet for us? It's <laughs> a little ominous, right? Like, that's a, that's a little selfish, but understandable. And so Jonah's very honest with them. He says, if you want to live, you're going to have to throw me overboard into the drink. And that's exactly what they do. So what you have at this moment is the sailors on the ship, these pagans, these non they start worshiping Yahweh, says it in the text. So you've got this interesting contrast. You've got the Hebrew prophet that's running away from God, and then you've got these pagans who are worshiping the one true God. It's kind of wild. So what happens next? Jonah's drowning. He's in the water, and it's Jonah and the whale. Wrong. Great fish. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up. I told you. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, they would have classified animals differently than we do today. It was a big thing that swam under the water. It's a fish, right? It was most certainly a mammal. uh, So that makes it a whale in our classification. Probably a sperm whale or a whale shark. So uh, sperm whales have been recorded to swallow whole unusually large objects like a 15-foot shark. It's happened. Uh, Whale sharks uh, have uh, been recorded to swallow a man whole who was later rescued from the belly of the whale shark. That's happened. So we don't know exactly what that animal was. Here's what we do know. We know that the fish was not punishment. The fish was grace and salvation. Like Jonah is there, he's drowning in the water, and God provided a savior that rescued Jonah. Think about this. Uh, If you look back in chapter 1, verse 5, when the storm hit, the sailors start throwing cargo overboard. That's a nautical thing, right? Like big storm, ancient sailing, and and they lighten the ship. So they throw cargo over. So when Jonah's thrown in, there's all kinds. So why didn't God just have Jonah cling to some floating piece of cargo and then like get to shore? If that happened, what we would say is that Jonah survived. That wasn't it. Jonah was saved. That's very different. What did Jonah do for his own salvation? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Jonah was saved by grace. It was all grace. And so, uh, when you, that's chapter one. When you get to chapter two, chapter two, almost the entire chapter, is one song of praise sung by Jonah to God in the belly of the whale. 
he, he's in the belly of the whale and he's worshiping God. And what he says at the end of his song is this, salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The whale was not punishment. The whale was salvation. Even in Jonah's rebellion, God was gracious to him, saved him. Jonah knows it and he calls out, salvation belongs to the Lord. Listen, folks, sometimes the best time to worship God is when you don't like what he's giving you. And that's what's going on. Like Jonah's not, not in a great so He's in the belly of a whale, right? Worshiping God. And sometimes because in the moment, you're not worshiping God for what he gives, but for who he is. And Jonah's doing that. We, we knew a family, I can't remember if I told you this recently or not, but we, we knew a family whose house burnt to the ground. And as the firefighters were putting it out, the family gathered in the front yard, uh, in the front yard the, and put their arms around each other and worshiped God, sang worship to God. Sometimes that's the best time to worship God. It's not about what he gives, it's about who he is. And that's what Jonah's doing. Now, in, at the very end of chapter two then, God commands the whale, the great fish, and it vomits Jonah up onto the beach. So what happened, right? So at this point forward, Jonah is walking whale vomit. It's exactly, now I, I actually think it's a good plan. When you're in the belly of a whale, there are only two exits. So, <laughs> so, you're coming out covered with some, right? So I think, I think that's the best case scenario right, right there. But anyway, chapter three, let's move on. Chapter three. <laughs> and here's what it says there. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And he called out, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So God gives Jonah a second chance and he goes to Nineveh. Now when he gets there, I don't think Jonah actually delivered the message God told him to give. Do you notice in Jonah's message, there's no hope, there's no invitation, there's no possibility of repentance. It's just, God's going to squash y'all. See ya. That's it. Like too bad, so sad. You're done. Because that's what Jonah wants. That's exactly what he wants. But nonetheless, they repent. You see that in there. They repent. In fact, look what the king says. Verses 8 and 9. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The entire city turns to Yahweh. Listen, when God sacks an entire city with an army of one, that's the work of the Holy Spirit right there. And God gets it done, and it's so cool. So the whole city then turns to God. And what does God do then? God God is gracious. He's merciful. He's compassionate. He's long-suffering. And so he relents, and he decides to spare all of Nineveh. Isn't that awesome? 
That's 120,000 people, image bearers of God, who are in wild rebellion against him, turn to Yahweh. Isn't that great? Well, not everyone thinks so. Chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Ever pray like that? And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Now Jonah's ticked at God. You you see that, like, the very first phrase there, displeased Jonah exceedingly, literally is, it was evil to Jonah. He viewed their repentance and God relenting as evil. And then he was angry is literally he was hot. He's on fire. He was hot. Now, to his credit, here's one thing to notice. Before he was running from God, now he's praying. So he's hot, he's angry, but at least he is talking to God about it. That's good. We'll come back to that. But look at his prayer. God, I told you so. I told you this is what I wanted to avoid. And he says, I knew you were God. How does Jonah know that he's a gracious God? Because God was gracious to Jonah, right? And this is so typical of us. I love God's grace for me. But for everyone else, I want God's justice, right? He's either a God of grace or a God of justice. Yeah, and he's both, but, but you got to choose. What, which is he handing out? And I love grace for me, but justice for other people. And Jonah's that way. <clears throat> and yet God is handing out grace. So what does Jonah say? He says, it is better for me to die than to live. You ever just want things to be over? Like they're just so bad and you're so fed up. And so here Jonah is praying for God to kill him. That's, that's the content of his prayer there. So what he's doing in this moment is he is stewing in his anger, kind of stoking the fire. And God says, you sure you want to do that? Like that's a yellow blinking light on the instrument panel right there, and he's warning him. Listen, there's anger that chooses us, and there's anger we choose. So two different things. Anger is an emotion that comes unbidden into our life, and sometimes anger chooses us. But then the next step is the problem. It's where we choose the anger. Because in the midst of, listen, injustice is cold. Injustice is cold, and I am warmed by my anger over it. And so what we do is we stoke the fire and we feed the flame and we are warmed by the glow. We keep it burning. The problem is it burns our own lives. And God's like, is that what you want? I want more from you. Are you sure you want that? Humorous irony in the word of God. The Hebrew word Jonah, you know what it means? It's the word for dove. I think God has a sense of humor. This is the animal that symbolizes peace. That's Jonah. Not so much. Now, verses 5 through 8. 
is, is where we'll go next in the chapter four. And it's this scene at the end of the book of Jonah that it feels like it's almost stapled on, like added in later, like it doesn't fit. And yet, if you miss this scene, you miss the entire point to Jonah's journey. What happens in verses five to eight of chapter four? Jonah, after this, he goes up on a hill overlooking Nineveh and he's looking down on it. Now you say, what is he waiting for? And I think he's hoping that God will smite them. You know you're preaching if you say smite, right? So I'm, I'm preaching, right? So he, he's up there and he's like, after all, what, why does it, it's, time to, it's over, go home. Why doesn't he go home? I think he's still hoping for fire and brimstone. You know, like on July 4th, we'll sit on a hill and we're waiting for fireworks to start. That's Jonah. He's waiting for the fireworks to start. So what God does is he causes this plant to grow up over Jonah. The scholars speculate it's probably a castor bean plant. They grow extremely rapidly in that climate, up to about 12 feet tall, have these big leaves, gives great shade. That's important. Listen, the average temperature in Mesopotamia, 110 degrees Fahrenheit. It's hot. And he's sitting on this hill. And so God gives this plant. It grows up over Jonah, gives him shade. Jonah loves the plant. I mean, literally says that. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. That's a quote. I love this plant. This plant is awesome. This is a great plant. Thank you, God, for the plant. Problem with the castor bean plant is that if the stalk is damaged, the whole thing just withers really quickly and easily. So what happens the next morning is God sends a worm and it hits the stalk of that plant and that plant just just shrivels up and goes away. You can, it's almost, I, I hear Homer Simpson going, don't, right? I think Jonah in that moment, don't. And so what God does next is he turn, decides to turn up the heat. Literally. It says he sends an east wind. That's a Sirocco is what they call it in that place. When, when a Sirocco hits, the temperature can jump 20 degrees Fahrenheit like that. And, and in that moment, what happens is everybody runs for shade. And Jonah just lost his shade. He just lost the plant. So Jonah is really, really ticked at God. I mean, he is hot. And in verse, chapter 4, verse 9, we read this. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. <laughs> I mean, can you just hear the five-year-old in that, right? <laughs> Cha! Yeah, I should be angry, angry enough to die. God, listen, this, at this point, it's a red blinking light on the instrument panel. Like when God asks you a clarifying question and he asks it twice, it's not time to double down. That's what he does. He doubles down. But let's be honest. At this point, Jonah is in a full-out tailspin. You ever been there? You're just in a full-out tailspin. He wa Jonah wants God to kill him over a plant, right? But we've been there, haven't we? We've been there. Again, it's, it's not that you felt angry. It's that you chose anger, right? And Jonah is choosing anger. He's stoking the fire. He's feeding the flame. He's keeping it burning, and it's going to burn his own life and no one else. That's the problem. 
Now, that is most of the book of Jonah right there. What's interesting is you think it's about Jonah and the whale, right? The whale gets barely a mention in chapter 1 and at the end of chapter 2. He has like a very small part in the story. If anything, it's Jonah and the plant. It's Jonah and his journey to God. Excuse me. It's Jonah and his anger against God. That's what the book's about. And in the midst of that then, God is about to deliver the punchline. And here it is, verses 10 and 11. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? End of book. I kid you not. That's how it ends. You're like, wait, that's it? Yeah, hard stop. That's the end of the book. And it's kind of left open-ended. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But first, I want to see if you can maybe relate to Jonah's journey. What are some things that Jonah went through? God derailed Jonah's plans for his own life, right? Jonah had relational conflict with the sailors. Uh, There was physical pain. Okay, just imagine drowning and then being swallowed whole by a whale and being in the stomach acid of a whale and then being vomited up. There was probably physical pain and ailment that went with that. He might have been scarred from that. Then there's injustice. My enemies are not being smited by God. In fact, other people that I don't want to succeed are succeeding. Jonah's dealing with that. There's loss. He loses the plant. There's loss in his life. And then he's uncomfortably hot. Like life is a long, hard journey. That's what Jonah's dealing with. And he's angry. And some of you are angry. Right? Some of you have dealt with a death in your life. Somebody died that you care about. Or maybe you or somebody you love have, have a disease or a disability. And it's painful. And that's relational pain in divorce and infidelity. There's wayward children. There's job loss. Financial difficulty. Life just isn't going the way you wanted and you are angry at God. I wonder if we can admit that this morning. Is that too honest for church? Some of you are angry at God. I would guess at some point all of you are angry at God, myself included. And so what can we learn from Jonah's journey that we can apply to our journey? A couple things. Here's some directions for the angry journey. Number one, there is no happily ever after resolution. I I think this is why the book of Jonah just kind of mysteriously just stops. And we're left going, wait, 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 what happened? Right? Like we're looking for some cliche that says, and Jonah was never angry at God again. Warms my heart, right? We're looking for that, but we don't get that neat, tidy resolution. Listen, the Bible's too real for that. Because if we're honest, we're on again, off again, right? 
Like, listen, I was mad at God, but, but I repented and I grew from that and now I'm not mad with, at God. Tomorrow, crap, I'm mad at God again. Right? And that's, that's how it goes. So it's on again, off again, and that's just life. There's no happily ever resolution until we go home to Jesus, on again, off again. Number two, better honest than fake with God. Much better to be honest. Listen, if the Bible is real about this stuff, maybe you should be real about it too. And if a prophet of God can be angry at God, maybe that's permission for you to be honest about your anger toward God. You have a right to your emotions. And when anger comes into your life, you need to face that and be honest. Read the Psalms. The Psalms, all the human emotions are on display. And sometimes the psalmists are ticked at God. And it's in the Bible. After all, listen, it's not like God doesn't know. Like, like sometimes we're angry at God, but we feel like, well, it's not right. We shouldn't be, so I'm not going to tell God. Like God doesn't know, right? So you really, when you're angry, angry, excuse me, when you're angry at God, you have two options. The first option is this. You're ticked at God, but you won't tell him as if he doesn't know. And your second option is you're ticked at God and you talk it through with him. Those are your only options. For your own emotional health, you can't deny your emotions. You need to be honest about your emotions. You need to be honest with yourself. You know what? I think I'm angry at God. You need to be honest with yourself. Secondly, you need to be honest with God. God, I'm ticked. And I think I'm ticked at you. Right or wrong, God, I've got to be honest about it. And then third, you've got to be honest with people in your life. Brothers and sisters in Christ who are on the same journey, who can relate to that and say, you know what? I'm angry at God right now. Would you pray for me? Would you pray with me? You got to be honest. Now, there's biblical balance to this. So did you know in the Bible you're actually commanded to be angry? Look it up. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. It says, be angry. That's a command. Be angry. You know what it says next? And do not sin. Colossians 3.8 tells us to put anger away from us. So on the one hand, there's anger that comes unbidden into my life. Be angry, be honest about it, be honest about your emotions, and do not stoke the fire. There's balance there. Be honest and real about your emotions, but don't stew in it. Don't stoke those fires because it will just burn your own life. But better honest than fake with God. Number three, I hope you caught that God never got angry at Jonah's anger. Did, did you notice that? Like Jonah gives us one of the greatest examples of shaking a fist in God's face and God doesn't get mad at him in return, right? He, and said, so what did God do? He listened to Jonah. He drew him out. God is pulling for Jonah. God has desire for Jonah and wants better for Jonah. We can learn from that. Fourth, God speaks into your life during your anger. Did you notice that? This is Jonah's story. One of the things it says about Jesus in the New Testament is it says that he came full of grace and truth. There's a great balance there. 
So on the one hand, Jesus is not going to reject you because you're real about your emotions. Full of grace, come, sister, come, brother. And at the same time, truth. He's going to speak into your life during that moment. So yes, be honest with God about your anger. And then in that moment, listen to God about your anger. Because what will he do? Number five, let your anger reveal your idols. Because that's what's going on there. Did you notice in the punchline at the end of the book of Jonah, what happened is that God revealed Jonah's idol, right? Like if, if Jonah had been valuing the things God values, if, if Jonah had been valuing eternal things, big things, would Jonah be angry? No. The problem was that Jonah was valuing small things, his own career, his stupid plant, right? His comfort. And those things always get threatened and therefore, boom, he's angry. He's angry. Our anger reveals our idols. For Jonah, it was a plant. Now think about his plant. A plant has roots in this world. It withers really easily. And it makes us upset. And what you might need to do is allow God in the midst of your anger to do a little divine gardening. To help you identify what, what is that that you've been trusting in that is a really crappy idol. Because it'll never hook you up. And instead of trusting in God and his kingdom and his plan and the things of eternity, you've been trusting in something that has roots in this world. And your anger is pointing that out. And so it's in that moment you're saying, God, help me figure that out. So on the one hand, tell God, talk to God, so you're going to be honest with God about your anger. But then secondly, allow God to identify the plants in your life. Because he wants way more for you. You in that moment are caring more for something less. God wants more for you than just that. I'll give you another question to get at it this way. Am I angry at God because he's not obeying me? Think about that. Isn't that why we get angry at God? Because God is not obeying me. As if I created God and I expect him to be my servant, right? Like that's what's going on in that moment. And what if, what if instead you stopped trying to change God and allowed God to change your heart? That's where we need to get. That's our journey. Shaping my heart to value what he values, do you think that might impact your anger a little bit? I think so. Let me pray for that journey. Father God, thank you very much that you are gracious. And if we're honest, we like that grace when it helps us. Sometimes we don't like that grace when we wanted something different. Thank you for your graciousness that you do not get angry just because we're angry. But you allow us to just come even though we're broken, angry people, you just allow us to come right into your throne room and talk to you. And in the midst of that time, Father, on our journey, would you please be so gracious to break our grip, like use that anger to identify our idols, but then help break our grip on silly little plants. That we could be more stable, that we could be more solid, that you could grow us through and past our anger. Father, thank you for your graciousness on our messy, messy journey.